Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Co-op. This wonderful Thursday morning is raining here in the district. And this morning, we start celebrating uh, African History Month, Black History Month. And we're starting off with Mr. Carter. Um, I'm sorry, Carter G. Wilson. <laughs> Mr. Emery Campbell. Good morning, Mr. Campbell. Good morning. Boy, Carter G. Woodson was an honorable name. Yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll keep that <laughs> And he he is sort of the father of uh, Black History Month. He started Negro History Week in 1926. That's right. That's right. One of the first PhDs from Harvard University he was. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I think he was the second. W.E.B. Du Bois was the first. I think. I think right. I got my history right. You're right. So Carter G. Woodson started this Black History Month. Uh, he started an association for the study of for African-American life and history. We call it ASALA. And ASALA, uh, A-S-A-L-H, uh, this, the theme this year is the importance of black health and wellness. Black health and wellness. And I just want to quickly uh, let people know who you are. And you've been on the show before and we covered it. But where were you born and where did you grow up? I was born here on Hilton Head Island, where I sit right now on the same land in 1941. Grew up right here before a bridge was, was connecting the island to the mainland, so we used rowboats. And, and so we farmed and fished around this island among some other 1,500 people for the first, first half of my life, yeah. So 1941, you were born. So you weren't around in 1926. Okay. Uh, no, no so, not quite. <laughs> okay. On Hilton Head Island, and that's called uh, Geechee or Gullah Land, which you, you told me the last time. And why is that? Well, the the Africans settled these islands after the Civil War, and and uh, the Africans who had worked the, who had worked the fields called slaves. We were enslaved Africans, and uh, this isolation along the coast uh, enabled us to retain much of the African way of life. Uh, the folks who who lived in this area was different from mainland folks, and folks began calling them uh, Gola. We think it comes from the word Gola, which is a tribe in West Africa. We think that got changed to Gullah. But Gullah Negroes were what we were called. Uh, up until recently, we we also uh, next the term Geechee, because that was also a term that they referred to in, in describing us. And we think Geechee might have come from the other tribe, Gisi, G-I-S-S-I, another tribe in West Africa. They were rice-growing people. And so they called us 
when I grew up, they were calling us rice-eating beaches. Mm -hmm. Because those those were rice-growing people. People, you know, rice was rice was the main crop for nearly a century before cotton on these plantations along the southern plantation, particularly South Carolina and Georgia, grew a lot of rice. And even to this day, we have not eaten unless we had rice. Is that breakfast, lunch, and dinner? It could be, but rice was so rice was so expensive at one time. You didn't dare eat it for breakfast. That was a, that was a dinner. That was a dinner food. Uh, but if you could get some rice in the morning, man, that was that was a treat. Especially the rice cake. You know that rice, the bottom part of that pot where that rice is caked. Mm -hmm. That rice cake was delicious. Some people eat that now. Some diet now now uh, recommend rice cakes or rice. And it, they sell rice cakes in the stores. I have some here at my house. Okay. Oh. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you were you're born 1941, Hilton Head Island. You went to school there. If I recall it, you told me that you didn't have a bridge until 1957. 1956. You were good. 56. Really good. Okay, 1956. Oh, yeah, because the, the the striking thing was whenever you went to town, if you will, to shop, you had to go to Savannah. That's right. Savannah was downriver from us. Just about, uh, Savannah was about, I guess, 20, 18, 20 miles south of us by water. And how long did it take? Well, the boat. You know, in, in days before the, the gasoline engine, it, it could take a full day rowing a boat down to Savannah. But uh, one man, one of one of our one of our citizens, a gullah man, bought an engine, a gasoline engine boat back in the 1920s, and that sped it that speed that that speeded it up to about four hours. So it took a half a day to get down there, and of course they would shop the last half of that day and the first half of the next day and then the boat would leave about half day the next day and come on back. You know, my grandmother used to say, uh, you know, sound like, thank God we, we, we left and came back in the same day. And I never understood that because we had cars and we would go to the store and we would come back. And I wonder, I never, I don't know her background. That's interesting. I need to find out that maybe she was on one of them islands and I guess you'd have to roll down and it'd take you all day to roll down and maybe you had to stay overnight and roll back the next day or something. I don't know, but I never understood that thing. Yes, well, ask the question. You might get the answer. Mm -hmm. Why do you Why do you say that, Mama? Why did you say that? Well, that was my grandmother, and she's long gone, but I, it would be yes. interesting to know what that meant. Yes, indeed. And she said it, it often. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a, a, a whole day task to get somewhere in those days. Okay. So given that um, with the speedboat, it would take you four hours down and four hours back. If somebody, I'm getting to this health thing, health and wellness for black folks, the importance of it. If somebody was pregnant and they said, oh, my water broke, you didn't have time to get them down to Savannah to the hospital. No. So what did y'all do? Well, we, had, we had midwives 
And uh, those those were ladies who really knew the body pretty well. You know, they, they could take care of a person who was having a who, who was birthing a child, and any in almost in any kind of situation, they they pretty much knew what to do. We had confidence in them. My mother, my mother birthed twelve children with the aid of a midwife, a midwife and my grandmother, and right in the house that that uh, we could we could be in the next room and hear the baby crying, and the midwife would come and say, "You've got a little brother or you've got a little sister," right there at the house, and they go outside and they'll burn the. The afterbirth, I guess they they always have a fire outside and a big pot of hot water on the, on the fire. So they uh, they they did it. I mean, for years, and they exchanged those those remedies and with with other people in other parts of the neighborhood. Or they would, but they would hear about about remedies from other islands. So that's that's how they exchanged information and and kept people as healthy as they could, not only in childbirth, but in other kind of illness and and how to eat, how to eat right, and how to eat when you're sick. Those were people who were always exchanging information about what they had known or what they had learned or what they brought from Africa. Mm. So we got birth done. Now it's living. So what was how, how did you all get good health you can't go to the hospital i assume you didn't have a hospital or a clinic on the island in those days no. you couldn't go down to savannah or up to charleston or anywhere around so you had to do it on the island yeah. and you said there was about 1500 people mm-hmm. and for birthing you had midwives and they did not only birthing but they did other kinds of things for helping you mentioned eating that how 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 to eat what to eat how to eat when you were sick so what what kind of things was that like what did they tell you to eat well they would you know the the, the best meal is the is the first meal and that is breakfast get something hot in you or or they would say eat grain kind you've got to eat grain kind and I kept wondering what is what does that mean. Later on, I found out what it meant. It means that you know the grain was good for the body. It, um, it, 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 it helps to cleanse the stomach. It, it keeps, it kept your bowels moving. Grain kind, rice or grits or, or any other kind of grain that you, that you could find. And people grounded their own, their own corn and made grits. So we always had lots of grits around and lots of whatever. Whatever you could afford, we didn't grow any rice most places, so we had to buy rice. But grain kind and vegetables and lots of fish. We we, we caught we caught everything we caught or grew everything we ate. So I think health was promoted through the food and through the lifestyle. You know, nobody sat around and watched television. There was no television, there was no radio except for Later on, people got radio, but nobody sat around. You always moving and working, walked, did a lot of walking because there were no cars. And so, uh, I think the exercise and and the food ways promoted our health more than anything. So, when 
whenever we got sick, like a flu or cold, um, and the summer flu seems to have been the worst, but my mother did three things. She made you, made you drink a lot of liquid, uh, mm-hmm. orange juice if we could get it. We, we didn't have oranges except for Christmas. But drink a lot of chicken noodle soup, uh, the broth, get a lot of soup in you, uh, get rest, and take cod liver oil. Not cod liver oil. Um, what's the, yeah. Maybe it's cod liver oil to, to, to move the bowel, movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was the remedy. Did you all have the same kind of thing? Those- well, there was always mention you need some cod liver oil. If we could get Savannah and get some cod liver oil. That was that was a, that was a very much a popular popular remedy, but uh, the juice that you mentioned, we we usually use canned juice because we didn't have any refrigeration on these islands. Hold, hold, Mr. Mr. We're going to have to break for our first break. I almost forgot. But I'm enjoying this so much, but we'll come back back and talk about this year's themes of the importance of health and wellness with Mr. Emory Campbell. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. And we have Mr. Emory Campbell on with us this morning. He was born in 1941, so that makes him right at 80 years old on Hilton Head Island. And he said that uh, what I know is that this island, 1,500 people, they were sort of cut off from the rest of the world. And so they kept their African heritage the Gullah and the Geechee people from West Africa, rice-eating folk. And to get to Savannah, the, it would take them all day before somebody on the island in the early 20s got themselves a motor, and then it would take that four-hour trip down. So they had to do the health and wellness, which is this year's uh, theme for black folks, the importance of health and wellness. They had to take care of themselves. And so far he was saying that the two things which – we know about is what you eat and exercise. Movement is what he's been talking about. Nobody sat around. They didn't have the internet, didn't have the game toys that kids do now. They, And that was the same thing growing up in Bluefield, West Virginia. We went out, climbed trees. We didn't have a lot of fish, though, Mr. Campbell, because uh, oh. there wasn't fishing. No, fish was a delicacy. <laughs> but we, we've got... Brennan, we got tired eating eating seafood. We got tired of fish. Wow, can't we get some? Can't we get some meat? Can't we get some pork and beans in the can with some with some uh, with some uh, sausages? Oh, we just oh, that was a delicacy for us. Anytime we could go to Savannah and got what we call some franks, the the the, 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 the hot dog that we call today. Oh man, what a treat! And a, and a bottle of soda water, as we called it. <laughs> we called it, it pop. pop. Let's go get yeah. some pop. Soda water. <laughs> yes, indeed. But, you know, during the, during the thickness, you, you, would, you, you were talking about juice. The canned juice, uh, tea, lots of tea. My grandmother would always encourage you to drink. You say, keep the kidneys. Keep the kidneys flushed. 
drink, drink some water, keep the kidneys flush. I didn't, I didn't understand the body at that time. She knew exactly what she was talking about. Keep the kidneys flush and keep go get the movement going. Yeah, like the cod, cod liver oil. Yes, yes. Keep movement. Take care of the body. Mm-hmm. So, how else um, were there? So you had the midwives. Uh, my father would go out in the woods in West Virginia, and he knew how to pick different things to make teas and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. um, did you all do the same thing? Was it close to the earth and that that you helped keep yourself well? Oh yeah, the the uh, the remedies for illness. You know, my grandmother believed in us. You know, drenching the body, making sure every spring that you get a dose of it, you could find castor oil, get your body cleansed, cleanse the body at least once or twice a year that way. But uh, the the bushes, you know, were mostly were mostly um, for 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 helping ailments. Like he had something called life everlasting that grew wild. I don't even see it on this island now. But it, it went, I mean, it was wild everywhere. You could just go in and get that bush and you put it in your house and you kept it there. And you made a tea from it and you drank it even before you got sick. You, you drank it as a tea to prevent fever and cold. And they get the holly bush with another kind of, another plant that we use for sickness. Uh, so the... The, the, the elderly people knew the the bushes out there. There was the the oil bush for fever. You wrapped yourselves in that, and that would draw, so to speak, the fever out of your body. So yeah, we were, we we use we use what we had. Live right to close to the earth. So I meant I said cod liver oil, but I really meant castor oil. You took castor oil whenever you got sick. And you yep. took cod liver oil, I think it was once a month, or it could have been once a week, but I didn't like the taste of either one of them, but that was moving oh. your body. Okay. Oh, Oof. Oof. I hate the thought of castor oil. <laughs> <laughs> one, thing, cl- one, thing is, one thing you could be sure of, once they gave you that dose of castor oil, she was, my mother would have an orange for you to suck on. Okay. So when you... Uh, left Sierra Leone to go. You went to college. Where did you go? Just to brief people up. So Hilton, I left Hilton Head and went to Savannah. I hitchhiked to Savannah every day to to go to college, and and I majored in in biology, which gave me a whole lot more understanding of the body. Uh, that 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 biology really. We had some. We had fantastic teachers teaching us biology. And I couldn't wait to get out in the world and practice what I had learned in biology at Savannah. Went north and got a job at the Harvard School of Public Health. Man, with all those different diseases in microbiology. So for five or six years, I really, I really got a good understanding of communicable diseases. That's why today with this, this COVID, I, I, I just don't understand how there's so much resistance to preventing the spread of this thing. But it's, uh, well, it's a fascinating deal. 
weeks talk about the pandemic of of uh, COVID, and um, there's a pandemic of racism about George Floyd we've just lived through, and a whole Emmett Till, and a whole bunch of other things, and yeah. deaths and lynchings, and then then there's this uh, climate change that is a major threat. I call it a pandemic, and it's getting more attention. Um, then there is the guns in the U.S. that's killing folk. I call it a pandemic. But the one that's worse to me in all of those is stupidity. I don't know what else to call it. Why people won't take the vaccines um, and some people in my family. I got one niece that only took it after a job said you can't come back here unless you take it. And that's unfortunate. This is a whole different aside, but if if Obama had been in office when that started, what would it have looked like? Okay. <laughs> well, a mm. lot has to do with governance. Okay. Yes. Um, yes. So um, leadership. leadership is extremely yes. important. Mm-hmm. You know, when I grew up, not the pandemic, but the endemic around here was tuberculosis back in the 40s and 50s. I, I lost a lot of relatives to that disease because we had no way other than, you know, sanitation was the key. And we had poor sanitation in most of these, most of these islands because we didn't, we really didn't have any modern facilities. And so you had to depend on distancing yourself, covering. I grew up, I grew up with the, with the, all of the, the uh, lifestyle of a of tuberculosis child. Cover your mouth when you cough. Don't spit. Um, keep a lot of ventilation in your house. And those are the things that I learned during that era because I lost so many cousins to tuberculosis. Mm. It's strange for me to watch people now resisting a mask or resisting um, uh, uh, sitting in sitting from a distance, just like they just deliberately defy common sense. Well, all you're telling me is common sense is not common. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, that's all you're telling me. <laughs> you're right. You're so right. But that's, what, that's what kept us well many, for many years. People used their senses. And they and they cooperated, you know. People people cooperated in these little neighborhoods that I grew up in. And if, well, it's the, if somebody if somebody knew something, they they gravitated toward that person who knew. My father was was one of the few people who could read and write around here. Uh, you know, that means you know you went to school and you learned to read and you learned to write. And so folks appreciated him because they'd come with their letters. And they'd, they'd, they'd come in the dining room and sit down and say, Reg, what that say? You'd hand the letter to him and say, what what that say? And he would have to read the letter to them and and uh, tell them what it says. And, and then, then he'd have to answer the letter for them and, and put it in an envelope and say, put a stamp on it and, and, and send it off to him. And they appreciated him for knowing and that's what that was. That, that's how I grew up. Just watching people cooperate. The, the guy who who was the fisherman and couldn't read, he said, "Reg, 
How much I owe you? They say, oh, bring me a mess of fish when you catch it. Yeah. Cooperation. Yeah. Cooperation. We're going to take our second break, and we're going to come back and talk more on co-opt in the, the formal sense. It was done every day in health and wellness on the island and where people had to share. And somebody that had knowledge was totally respected. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Your news talk station. Welcome back. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. And we have Mr. Emery Campbell on the line with us this morning. And this program is brought to you by the National Cooperative Bank, whose mission is to support and be an advocate for Americans' cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. NCB has been our partner for eight and a half years now, and they've been a great partner. And Mr. Campbell, we are talking about, um, we start, left just people cooperating in on Hilton Head Island, where you have uh, 1,500 Geechee folk, folks from the West Africa that were sort of um, on this island, and you had to, uh, either a day or four hours to get to someplace else. So they kept the African culture, the African ways of life, and you grew up being born in 1941 and you had your first bridge in 1956 and you would hitchhike to college and then you yeah. said you went to Harvard and you you got a job at the Harvard School of Public Health and you just yeah. learned a lot okay so then you came back to the island and what did you do when you came back I came back as an environmental health engineer as I had gotten a degree in environmental health engineering at Tufts University. And we had started, my colleagues had started, I say my colleagues, people I grew up with, uh, had started a health, a rural health center. And so the head of that movement actually sent for me to come back home to deal with sanitation. And uh, so I did that for about 10 years. After I came back, went to all these islands, St. Helena Island, Dufusky Island, Ladies Island, uh, putting in sanitary systems. And more. that's the that was the main reason for TB spreading was poor health, poor sanitation. You said so. You went right. off and got educated, came back and helped the neighbor, help all of the communities in right. sanitation. And then you said also water. Yeah, yeah. You know they. The, uh, we had a problem with ascaris worms. Uh, people didn't have anywhere to wash their hands, and and the children played in the dirt where they were were the, the eggs of these worms. And so when they put their hands in their mouth, they passed it on into their body. And so we, among children, we had roundworm problems. And that's what we went after. That's why we went after water and sewer. Um, sanitation systems and uh, eradicated that just by just by just by better sanitation we we don't have any problem with children and worms now 
Well, we had an outhouse, so we had poor yeah. sanitation. We played in the dirt. We had worms, and that deworming stuff, man. Whatever they gave you, that was that was terrible too. <laughs> Talking about castor oil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? I didn't. I didn't know you had that experience too. Oh yeah, man. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're in different parts of the world. I'm in the mountains in the cold climate in West Virginia, but playing in dirt, uh, poor sanitation. Um, Poor, poor. Is, uh, we we were working poor, uh, uh -huh. so yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy. Yes, indeed. But you you can identify with what I'm talking about. That that was big. That was so satisfying. You know, that's how I I left there and went on to Penn Center and started dealing with with, with culture and preserving culture, the African culture that we had left. But yeah, that that took a took kind of a circle. Went, go, ran, and came back. And Penn Center is one of the islands up on St. Helena Islands, um, or it's island down from from uh, from Hilton Head. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, just in uh, north Hilton Head, northeast of Hilton Head. Okay, and so there you um, talking about the culture and training. It was started in, if I recall, right after the Civil War, 1863? Yeah, it, 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 1862, one of the first places, one of the first efforts of formal education of the former enslaved people. Yeah, it's an old institution. It's done a lot, you know. It is. It has done a lot from organizing communities to organizing farming to organizing cooperatives, organizing culture program, organizing businesses. It has really been the center of education for these these islands around Beaufort County. So coming from West Africa, whether that's Sierra Leone or, or some other location, cooperation to me is what what the slaves brought with them. And that's um, mm -hmm. how, how we share the knowledge we have, whatever pennies or nickels or fish or whatever we have, how do we share it to benefit each other? And Ubuntu, it's a southern uh, Africa term of I am because Emory Campbell is and Emory Campbell is because I am. We are there to mm -hmm. support each other. Uh -huh. uh, and is that what it was like? You've already said that in terms of your father helping people reading their letters, and then he would be paid with fish or something else, and and he was respected because of his knowledge, mm -hmm. and he shared his knowledge. That cooperation That's, is that sort of like how how you all work together? Absolutely. The people who people who didn't have an education had something that he didn't have. They had either skills in real writing or or skills in fishing or or skills in carpentry, or whatever he didn't have. I mean, whatever, whatever they had, he needed. And uh, and so there was no there was no hierarchy. A big big shot and little shot. Everybody was pretty much on the same level. That's what was so interesting about me growing up. Um, my father taught school. Eventually, my mother taught school. And the kids would come so that they could be tutored by them. But by the same token, those kids came from families who were fishing people or, or successful farmers. 
and and therefore my father and mother respected them as well as they respected there was mutual trust and respect mutual trust trust and respect all right now so what in 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 Penn Center um and around as you've lived your life what kind of co-ops were formed uh and how did they work the latest co-op on St. Helena Island was a tomato cooperative. It started out in the 19, late 1960s. I was not around for the entire for the entire time, but it was a part of the Federation of Southern Cooperatives uh, that started out in the late 60s. And that that co-op, you know, cooperative depends on just what we think cooperation. Uh, all of the tomato farmers would bring their tomatoes into the packing shed and got them packed. You know, that was a that was a, um, a skill that was needed, a service that was needed. How do you pack tomatoes? How do you sort them and pack them for shipping? So all the farmers used that one packing shed to, to get their tomatoes sorted and packed, and they sold in bulk. For example, you and my tomatoes went together as a as a part of a load, and so you had to, you had to have those five, ten farmers to bring enough tomatoes in to fill a van, what we call a trans a van is a transporting truck. And so if the truck comes in, and you don't have enough, you have to depend on Johnny to bring his in, and that's what cooperation. That's what that's what cooperation meant, and that's why it was so important to cooperate. The cooperatives fail because people begin to stop cooperating. Same thing with the fishing cooperative on Hilton Head. The boat, they had about 20, 20 shrimp boats, and the shrimpers would come in, and they'd have to have enough shrimp to fill a truck and, and get the right price for that truckload of shrimp. Well, you know, sometimes somebody offer you a little bit more for your box of shrimp than the cooperative could pay you, would pay you. So you started selling off to the guy, the outside fellow, and therefore you don't have enough for, for the truck load from the cooperative. And so eventually cooperatives like those, with the cooked tomato co-op and the shrimp co-op, began to fail because people stopped cooperating. Wow. And it's sort of the, I don't know, I want to call it the Western world of individualism. I am because I am. There you go, Brennan. You you are hitting it right on the head. You you got influenced by that that Western world capitalism. I just had had that conversation with somebody yesterday. That, uh, you know, you get pulled by that vertical pull rather than cooperating horizontally. So I want to try to get what's best for me and my family. And forget about you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's exactly how. That's exactly why. Why it fails. Okay, so that's the tomato co-op and the fishing co-op. What other co-ops um, were formed in in and around uh, Hilton Head or Saint Helena's Island? I think those were the two main ones. They did a little. They did. They did a try at an oyster cooperative, the same way as the shrimp cooperative operated. The oyster men would go out and bring their oysters in. 
and had had to pack together and had to shock together. But that was the third it was third cooperative that uh, got started. I think that one got started in the sixties, the the oyster cooperative. But you know the informal cooperation on these islands uh, remained so until you got you know the competition of businesses and and and, and all these other competitive uh, businesses come. Other than that, people people just lived in cooperation with one another, and it was also enforced by the religious beliefs. We had little little organizations. We had little uh, little worship places called the Prayer House, where you had leadership there that almost required that you cooperate with your neighbors. You treat them right. If you violate it, then you come before the, the leadership of the prayer house and you got placed on, you got punished for, for doing your neighbor wrong, treating your neighbor wrong, not cooperating with your neighbor. You know what the punishment was? No. You just what? get off the side service. You, you get on the back seat of the prayer house and don't, don't, you're not allowed to participate in worship service. That was enough of a punishment for you to straighten up. So you kind of ostracized. Yeah, nobody wanted to not be a part. But the praise house wasn't that big. I went and visited one. It was like there was no back seat. <laughs> all, all around. It was... <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was, too. In the back of the that. As small as that was, at the back of that room, you know, your, your status was known. Okay. So it was mainly status. You came in every time, and that's the only place you could sit. <laughs> okay. So I want to come back and talk. We've got to take our, our, our next break here. But I want to come back and talk about that. Was a, uh, you had mentioned to me once before there was a co-op on St. Helena Islands that was kind of like a, a store. Uh-huh. And I wanted to come back and talk about that. And then also when we come back after the break, is how do you see this cooperation today and, and coming out of COVID, coming out of the pandemics? Where do you see the role of cooperation? We'll be right back. News Talk Station. Information is power. Information is power. But you don't get the power with the information. You get the power when you put action to the information. It's like you can have power in a gallon of gasoline, but you don't get any power out of it until you strike it in some kind of way. That's when you get power. So we're talking to you now today, and NCB has helped to fund this program so we can give you information about cooperation. There is power in the information, but you don't get the power until you get into action. So I'm hoping the listeners out here will listen to uh, Mr. Campbell and, and listen to these other programs, take the information, and go do something with it. Cooperate with your neighbors, with your community. 
So, what was that co-op in at, at on Saint Helena Islands? Well, it was, you know, it was the center of the community. You didn't have, it didn't have any competition from other places to get things, knowledge as well as goods and services, and that that promoted that cooperative. I went to that to that island for the first time when I was about twelve years old. And it was the most inspiring thing to watch all those people working together and coming together at that particular building. It's right on the corner as you turn into Penn Center now. That building, that building is still there. It seemed like it was so much larger to me then. But it's now an art center, and then it turned into a welcome center. We went to St. Helena on the corner of Martin Luther King Drive and US 21. You see that building still there. But it, it sold... Like I said, it sold the farmers all the equipment they needed and the, the uh, fertilizers and other other things for the crops. Uh, I, I believe, I'm not sure, I believe they also uh, sold, sold the crops there that folks, the farm produce that folks, uh, that folks produce. Some of that was sold right there, although they shipped some out. Uh, but the, the early part of the growing season is when that that cooperative, as I understand, it was more or most popular because that's where everybody went and got their goods and and the equipment for farming. And you know, it comes from basic community cooperation. Once the community depends on one another, um, cooperatives like that one succeed. If, if you have other alternatives and you don't have the the philosophy embedded in your mind, then you, you really pull you, you pulled away, and that's what we have to do. We have to believe that you know cooperating with one another is better than, as we talked about earlier, individualism. Mm-hmm. And that's when you you lose your you lose your way, and if you if you get in trouble out there, you're out there by yourself. You have to come back and and contact your neighbor because, you know, the big guys are not going to take care of you. But it, it has to begin with with, a, with micro-teaching. We've got we to gotta teach where we are. We, this, this business of macro-education, you know, everybody is learning from one big, big show. Uh, you've got to do more with your family. Individuals, you've got to start off with, with with your family, the little children. Got to learn how to cooperate within the house, and, and mm-hmm. that would carry on to the bigger bigger community. And uh, eventually, you'll have an appreciation for trust and and cooperation. You use this word trust a lot, and that's a big big word. Did you all have any uh, susus? This informal banking. We had what they call. Those little organizations, those barrel, those barrel organizations, you know, they, those barrel societies, they had the treasurer that would loan money to members, and they pay back, which is a which is a trust thing. People people had credibility; they could come back and pay back, and so none of them failed because somebody walked off with a loan and didn't pay back. And of course, uh, for holidays, they would have a Christmas club where people would put their monies in so that they could buy goods during Christmas. 
and they would put so much in every month, and then they would distribute it around the first part of December. But that's the only kind of banking system that we had. Of course, there was the church treasurer. He was a banker because he'd loan out to the members, and members pay him back. I keep saying him because, you know, men were in charge of these things, except for the women clubs themselves. So we got cooperation at birth with midwives and and um, your your grandmother. You got cooperation uh, throughout life, uh, just the living life and passing information, whether that's how do you take care of yourself or how do you farm or how do you read letters or people that couldn't read, how do you get those read and how do you get things read. You got some formal co-ops where there are oysters or shrimp or tomatoes. You have this, what, what is called a purchasing co-op in St. Helena Islands where the, the, the uh, farmers would all join this co-op and they come and they buy their seed, fertilizer, equipment. And that also looked like it could have played as a marketing co-op where they sold their products that they created, bought through them. Mm-hmm. So you got these all, all of these co-ops going on. And you just mentioned a borough society, uh, and those are called mutual aid societies where people share, in this case, money uh, to aid each other when they were, when somebody died that they could get buried. And this was all, even in, through in slavery, they had these borough societies. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes. I didn't know that they loaned money. That's new information to me, that they would loan money. They acted like a bank also. Mm-hmm. Got trouble. Sure. No, no, and, no paper transfer. It was word of mouth and trust. Why do you think that people paid back when there was nothing signed, there's no legal, it's all word of mouth? <laughs> Why would they pay back? <laughs> I, I, think it, I think it had to do with Love of their community and fellow people, and uh, and their own their own pride. You know that's something that a lot of us have lost. That pride, that self pride. I paid. I paid them back. I've got credibility. They cared about them about their credibility, and they cared about the organization going. I mean, uh, the sustenance of the organization. So Jessica Gordon-Nimhardt in her book, Collective Carriage, says that a cooperative, that five years after a co-op starts, 90% of them are still in business. And what you just said is the reason she says that they're still in business. Love of community, their own pride, their own trust, that they know that if they don't do their part, that the whole community fails. That's but right. in a in a capitalistic business, that after five years, 90% of those businesses have failed. Only 10% survive because they're out there on their own. They don't have that support of each other, supporting each other and lifting each other, particularly in downtimes. Mm. Yeah. So true. Yeah. So it's, it's up to us. It's up to you. What, what can I contribute to this society to make it better? Most what would you say? For myself, what can I do for myself is what most people are saying now. And it's what can I do for my community? What can I do for my family? How can we do to help a next family out? And that gets to the values of the ethical values of cooperation. Then when you talk about a formal, that's honesty, openness, mm-hmm. social responsibility, and caring for others. It's caring for others. It's 
golden rule, if you will. Do unto right. others as you'd have them do unto you. You care for others. That that is the heart of cooperation. Mm-hmm. 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 So what would you say to people? We only have a couple minutes left. What would you say to people about coming out of COVID? How do we how do we work together to come out of COVID? I think we have to I think we have to teach we have to teach at the level of family. If they give families the right information, because that's the only ammunition we have, information, correct information, families can distribute that information to their children and to their, their, their fellow family members. It's got to start there, which, which, which requires a little more work than just putting it on a, on a, on a media, uh, you know, a general national media. We've got to start at the community level at the house with the right information. So that's the fifth that. that's the fifth principle of cooperation, uh, training information, getting the information out and you see at the family level. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mr. Campbell, time's up. <laughs> we gotta go. I could spend another hour with you. Thank you so much for taking the time out to be with us today and all the oh, knowledge that you can it. share. I enjoyed it, Vernon. Have a nice Black History Month. You too, sir. And everybody out there, please enjoy it. Get the knowledge and get knowledge to your family members. Have to start a co-op. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week. Your news talk station.